Act One of the Author's Farce by Henry Fielding. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Prologue spoken by Mr. Jones. Too long the tragic muse has awed the stage, and frightened wives and children with her rage. Too long Drawcaster roars, Parthenope weeps, while every lady cries, and critic sleeps. With ghosts, rapes, murders, tender hearts they wound, or else, like thunder, terrify with sound. When the skilled actress to her weeping eyes, with artful sigh, the handkerchief applies, how grieved each sympathizing nymph appears, and box and gallery both melt in tears. Or, when in armor of Corinthian brass, heroic actor stares you in the face, and cries aloud with emphasis that's fit on liberty, freedom, liberty, and Britain. While frowning, gaping for applause, he stands, what generous Briton can refuse his hands? Like the tame animals designed for show, you have your cues to clap, as they do bow. Taught to commend, your judgments have no share. By chance you guess aright, by chance you err. But handkerchiefs and Britain laid aside. Tonight we mean to laugh and not to chide. In days of yore, when fools were held in fashion, though now, alas, all banished from the nation, a merry jester had reformed his lord, who would have sworn the sterner Stoic's word. Bred in Democritus, his laughing schools, our author slies said her glocatus rules. No tears, no terror plead in his behalf. The aim of farce is but to make you laugh. Beneath the tragic or the comic name, farces and puppet shows ne'er miss of fame. Since then, in borrowed dress, they've pleased the town, condemned them not, appearing in their own. Smiles we expect from the good-natured few, as ye are done by, ye malicious do. And kindly laugh at him who laughs at you. Persons in the Farce Luckless, the author and master of the show. Read by Adrian Stevens. Whitmore, his friend. Read by Greg Giordano. Marplay Senior, comedian. Read by Alan Mapstone. Marplay Junior, comedian. Read by Avai. Bookweight. A bookseller, read by Todd. Scarecrow, a scribbler, read by David Purdy. Dash, a scribbler, read by Joanna Michael Hoyt. Quibble, a scribbler, read by Grace Buchanan. Blotpage, a scribbler, read by Sandra. Index, read by Andrew Gauntz. Jack... Servant to Luckless, read by Jim Locke. Jack Pudding, read by Thomas Peter. Bantamite, read by Grace Buchanan. Mrs. Moneywood, the author's landlady, read by Sonia.
Harriet Moneywood, her daughter, read by Devora Allen. Persons in the Puppet Show. A player, read by Alan Mapstone. Constable, read by Jim Hedrick. The Goddess of Nonsense, read by Kelly Taylor. Sharon, read by Sandra Schmidt. Curry, a bookseller, read by Todd. Poet, read by Sandra. Signor Opera, read by Jake Milizia. Don Tragedio, read by Joanna Michael Hoyt. Sir Falsical Comic, read by Jim Hedrick. Dr. Orator, read by Algie Pug. Mrs. Novel, read by Avai. Rob Grave, The Saxon, read by Hannah Ponomarenko. Sailor, read by David Purdy. Somebody, read by Joanna Michael Hoyt. Nobody, read by Sonia. Punch, read by Alan Mapstone. Joan, read by Michelle Eaton. Count Ugly, read by Andrew Gantz. Manager, read by Mark Kelly. Mr. Cedo, musician, read by Todd. Director, read by Thomas Peter. Messenger, read by Remy. Sir John, read by Rob Marland. First Poet, read by Thomas Peter. Second Poet, read by David Purdy. Third Poet, read by Joanna Michael Hoyt. Fourth Poet, read by Todd. Ket, read by Sonia. Stage Directions, read by Larry Wilson. Act One, Scene One. Luckless's Room in Mrs. Moneywood's House. Mrs. Moneywood, Harriet Luckless. Never tell me, Mr. Luckless, of your play and your play. I tell you, I must be paid. I would no more depend on a benefit night of an unacted play than I would on a benefit ticket in an undrawn lottery. Could I have guessed that I had a poet in my house? Could I have looked for a poet under laced clothes? Why not? Since you may often find poverty under them, nay, they are commonly the signs of it. And therefore, why may not a poet be seen in them, as well as a courtier? Do you make a jest of my misfortune, sir? Rather my misfortune? I'm sure I have a better title to poverty than you. For notwithstanding the handsome figure I make, unless you are so good to invite me, I'm afraid I shall scarce prevail on my stomach to dine today. Oh, never fear that. You will never want a dinner till you have dined at all the eating houses round. No one shuts their doors against you the first time, and I think you are so kind, seldom to trouble them a second. No, and if you will give me leave to walk out of your doors, the devil take me if I ever come into em again. Pay me, sir, what you owe me, and walk away whenever you please. With all my heart, madam, get me a pen and ink, and I'll give you my note for it immediately. Your note? Who will discount it? 
not your bookseller for he has as many of your notes as he has of your works both good lasting wear and which are never likely to go out of his shop and his scruter nay but madam tis barbarous to insult him in this manner no doubt you will take his part pray get you about your business i suppose he intends to pay me by ruining you get you in this instant and remember if ever i see you with him again i'll turn you out of doors scene two luckless mrs moneywood discharge all your ill-nature on me madam but spare poor miss harriet oh then it is plain i have suspected your familiarity a long while you are a base man is it not enough to stay three months in my house without paying me a farthing but you must ruin my child i love her as my soul had i the world i'd give it her all but as you happen to have nothing in the world i desire you would have nothing to say to her i suppose you would have settled all your castles in the air oh i wish you had lived in one of them instead of my house well i am resolved when you are gone away which i heartily hope will be very soon i'll hang over my door in great red letters no lodgings for poets sure never was such a guest as you have been my floor is all spoiled with ink my windows with verses and my door has been almost beat down with dance would your house had been beaten down and everything but my dear harriet crushed under it sir sir madam madam i will attack you at your own weapons i will pay you in your own coin i wish you would pay me in any coin sir look ye madam i'll do as much as a reasonable woman can require i'll show you all i have and give you all i have too if you please to accept it turns his pockets inside out i will not be used in this manner no sir i will be paid if there be any such thing as law by what law you will put money into my pocket i know not for i have never heard of any one who got money by the law but the lawyers i have told you already and i tell you again that the first money i get shall be yours and i have great expectations from my play in the meantime your staying here can be of no service and you may possibly drive some fine thoughts out of my head i would write a love scene and your daughter would be more proper company on that occasion than you you would act a love scene i believe but i shall prevent you for i intend to dispose of myself before my daughter dispose of yourself yes sir dispose of myself tis very well known that i have had very good offers since my last dear husband died i might have had an attorney of new inn or mr philpot the exciseman yes i had my choice of two parsons or a doctor of physic and yet i slighted them all yes i slighted them for 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 you for me 
yes you have seen two visible marks of my passion too visible for my reputation <laughs> sobbing i have heard very loud tokens of your passion but i rather took it for the passion of anger than of love oh it was love indeed nothing but love upon my soul the devil this way of dunning is worse than the other if thou canst not pay me in money let me have it in love if i break through the modesty of my sex let my passion excuse it i know the world will call it an impudent action but if you will let me reserve all i have to myself i will make myself yours forever toll lol lol and this is the manner you receive my declaration you poor beggarly fellow you shall repent this remember you shall repent it remember that i'll show you the revenge of an injured woman i shall never repent anything that rids me of you i am sure scene three luckless harriet dear harriet i have waited an opportunity to return to you oh my dear i am so sick what's the matter oh your mother your mother what has she been scolding ever since worse worse heaven forbid she should threaten to go to law with you oh worse worse she threatens to go to church with me she has made me a generous offer that if i will but marry her she will suffer me to settle all she has upon her generous creature sure you will not resist the proposal hum what would you advise me to oh take her take her by all means you will be the prettiest finest loveliest sweetest couple ah oh, what a delicate dish of matrimony you will make her age with your youth her avarice with your extravagance and her scolding with your poetry nay but i am serious and i desire you would be so you know my unhappy circumstances and your mother's wealth it would be at least a prudent match oh extremely prudent <laughs> the world will say lord who could have thought mr luckless had had so much prudence this one action will overbalance all the follies of your life faith i think it will but dear harriet how can i think of losing you forever and yet as our affairs stand i see no possibility of our being happy together it will be some pleasure too that i may have it in my power to serve you believe me it is with the utmost reluctance i think of parting with you for if it was in my power to have you oh i am very much obliged to you i believe you yes you need not swear i believe you and can you as easily consult prudence and part with me for i would not buy my own happiness at the price of yours i thank you sir part with you intolerable vanity then i am resolved and so my good landlady have at you stay sir let me acquaint you with one thing you are a villain 
and don't think I'm vexed at anything, but that I should have been such a fool as ever to have had a good opinion of you. Crane. Ha! 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 Caught by Jupiter, and did my dear Harriet think me in earnest? And was you not in earnest? What, to part with thee? A pretty woman will be sooner in earnest to part with her beauty, or a great man with his power. I wish I were assured of the sincerity of your love. Air buttered peace. Does my dearest Harriet ask what for love I would pursue? Would you, charmer, know what task I would undertake for you? Ask the bold ambitious what he for honours would achieve. Oh, the gay voluptuous that which he'd not for pleasure give. Ask the miser what he'd do to amass excessive gain, or the saint what he'd pursue his wished heaven to obtain. These I would attempt, and more, for, oh, my Harriet is to me, all ambition, pleasure, store, or what heaven itself can be. Would my dearest luckless know what his constant Harriet can, her tender love and faith to show for her dear, her only man? Ask the vain coquette what she, for men's adoration, would, or from censure to be free, ask the vile censorious prude. In a coach and six to ride, what the mercenary jade, or the widow to be bride, to a brisk broad-shouldered blade. All these I would attempt for thee, could I but thy passion fix. Thy will my sole commander be, and thy arms my coach and six. Mrs. Moneywood within. Harriet! Harriet! Hear the dreadful summons. Adieu. I will take the first opportunity of seeing you again. Adieu, my pretty charmer. Go thy ways for the first of thy sex. Scene four. Luckless Jack. So, what news bring you? An it please your honour, I have been at my lord's, and his lordship thanks you for the favour you have offered of reading your play to him, but he has such a prodigious deal of business, he begs to be excused. I've been with Mr. Keeper, too. He made me no answer at all. Mr. Bookweight will be here immediately. Jack! Sir? Fetch my other hat hither. Carry it to the pawnbroker's. To your honour's own? pawnbroker ay and in thy way home call at the cook's shop so one way or other i find my head must always provide for my belly scene five luckless whitmore i am surprised dear whitmore dear harry this is kind indeed but I do not more wonder at finding a man in this age who can be a friend to adversity than that fortune should be so much my friend as to direct you to me. For she is a lady I have not been much indebted to lately. 
She who told me, I assure you, is one you have been indebted to a long while. Whom do you mean? One who complains of your unkindness in not visiting her. Mrs. Lovewood. Dost thou visit there still, then? I throw an idle hour away there sometimes. When I am in an ill humor, I am sure of feeding it there with a scandal in town. For no bawd is half so diligent in looking after girls with an uncracked maiden head as she in searching out women with cracked reputations. The much more infamous office of the two. Thou art still a favorer of the women, I find? Ay, the women and the muses, the high roads to beggary. What? Art thou not cured of scribbling yet? No, scribbling is as impossible to cure as the gout. And as sure a sign of poverty as the gout of riches. So death in an age of learning and true politeness, where a man might succeed by his merit, there would be some encouragement. But now, when party and prejudice carry all before them, when learning is decried, wit not understood, when the theatres are puppet shows, and the comedians ballad singers, when fools lead the town, would a man think to thrive by his wit? If you must write, write nonsense, write operas, write hurly thrombos, set up an oratory, and preach nonsense, and you may meet with encouragement enough. Be profane, be scurrilous, be immodest. If you would receive applause, deserve to receive sentence at the old bailey. And if you would ride in a coach, deserve to ride in a cart. You are warm, my friend. It is because I am your friend. I cannot bear to hear the man I love ridiculed by fools, by idiots, to hear a fellow who had been born a Chinese had starved for want of genius, to have been even the lowest mechanic, toss up his empty noodle with an affected disdain of which he is not understood, and women abusing what they have neither seen nor read from an unreasonable prejudice to an honest fellow whom they have not known. If thou wilt write against all these reasons, get a patron, be pimp to some worthless man of quality, write panegyrics on him, flatter with him as many virtues as he has vices, then perhaps you will engage his lordship. His lordship engages the town on your side, and then write till your arms ache. Sense or nonsense, it will all go down. Thou art too satirical on mankind. It is possible to thrive in the world by justifiable means. Aye, justifiable. And so they are justifiable by custom. What does the soldier or physician thrive by but slaughter? The lawyer but by quarrels? The courtier but by taxes? The poet but by flattery? I know none that thrive by profiting mankind, but the husbandman and the merchant, 
the one gives you the fruit of your soil the other brings you those from abroad and yet these are represented as mean and mechanical and the others as honourable and glorious well but prithee leave railing and tell me what you would advise me to do do why thou art a vigorous young fellow and there are rich widows in town but i am already engaged why don't you marry then for i suppose you are not mad enough to have any engagement with a poor mistress even so faith and so heartily that i would not change her for the widow of a croesus now thou art undone indeed matrimony clenches ruin beyond retrieval what unfortunate stars wert thou born under was it not enough to follow those nine ragged jades the muses but you must fasten on some earth-born mistress as poor as them marplay jr within order my chairman to call at me at st james no let them stay heyday whom the devil have we here the young captain sir no less person i assure you scene six luckless whitmore marplay jr mr luckless i kiss your hands sir i am your most obedient humble servant you see mr luckless what power you have over me i attend your commands though several persons of quality have stayed at court for me above this hour i am obliged to you i have a tragedy for your house mr marplay ha if you will send it to me i will give you my opinion of it and if i can make any alterations in it that will be for its advantage i will do it freely alterations sir yes sir alterations i will maintain it let a play be never so good without alteration it will do nothing uh, very odd indeed did you ever write sir uh no sir i thank heaven oh your humble servant your very humble servant sir when you write yourself you will find the necessity of alterations why sir would you guess that i had altered shakespeare yes faith sir no one sooner alack a day was you to see the plays when they are brought to us a parcel of crude undigested stuff we are the persons sir who lick them into form that mould them into shape the poet make the play indeed the colourman might be as well said to make the picture or the weaver the coat my father and i sir are a couple of poetical tailors when a play is brought us we consider it as a tailor does his coat we cut it sir we cut it and let me tell you we have the exact measure of the town we know how to fit their taste the poets between you and me are a pack of ignorant hold hold sir this is not quite so civil to mr luckless besides as i take it you have done the town the honour of writing yourself sir you are a man of sense and express yourself well 
I did, as you say, once make a small sally into a Parnassus, took a sort of flying leap over Helicon, but if ever they catch me there again. Sir, the town have a prejudice to my family, for if any plague could have made them ashamed to damn it, mine must. It was all over plot. It would have made half a dozen novels, nor was it crammed with a pack of wit-traps like Congreve and Wycherley, where everyone knows when the joke was coming. I defy the sharpest critic of them all to have known when any jokes of mine were coming. The dialogue was plain, easy, and natural, and not one single joke in it from the beginning to the end. Besides, sir, there was one scene of tender melancholy conversation, enough to have melted a heart of stone, and yet they damned it and they damned themselves for they shall have no more of mine take pity on the town sir no sir no i'll write no more no more unless i'm forced to it that's no easy thing marplay yes sir odes odes a man may be obliged to write those you know ha ha ha, ha. that's, that's true, true indeed, indeed. What about my tragedy, Mr. Marplay? I believe my father is at the playhouse. If you please, we will read it now, but I must call on a young lady first. Hey, who's there? Is my footman there? Order my chair to the door. Your servant, gentlemen. Karovien. Exit singing. This is the most finished gentleman I ever saw, and hath not, I dare swear, his equal. If he has, here he comes. Scene 7. Luckless Whitmore Bookweight. Mr. Bookweight, your very humble servant. I was told, sir, that you had particular business with me. Yes, Mr. Bookweight. I have something to put into your hands. I have a play for you, Mr. Bookweight. Is it accepted, sir? Not yet. Oh, sir. When it is, it will be then time enough to talk about it. A play like a bill is of no value to it is accepted. Nor indeed what it is very often. Besides, sir, our playhouses are grown so plenty, and our actors so scarce, that really plays are become very bad commodities. But pray, sir, do you offer it to the players or the patentees? Oh, to the players, certainly. You are in the right of that. But a play which will do on the stage will not always do for us. There are your acting plays and your reading plays. I do not understand that distinction. Why, sir, your acting play is entirely supported by the merit of the actor, in which case it signifies very little whether there be any sense in it or no. 
Now your reading play is of a different stamp and must have wit and meaning in it. These latter I call your substantive as being able to support themselves. The former are your adjective as what require the buffoonery and gestures of an actor to be joined with them to show their signification. Very learnedly defined, truly. Well, but Mr. Bookwait, will you advance fifty guineas on my play? Fifty guineas? Yes, sir. You shall have them with all my heart, if you will give me security for them. Fifty guineas for a play? Sir, I would not give fifty shillings. Steth, sir, do you beat me down at this rate? No, nor fifty farthings. Fifty guineas? Indeed, your name is well worth that. Jack, take this worthy gentleman and kick him downstairs. Sir, I shall make you repent this. Come, sir, will you please to brush? Help! Murder! I'll have the law of you, sir. Ha, 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 ha! Scene 8. Luckless Whitmore, Mrs. Moneywood. What noise is this? It is a very fine thing, truly, Mr. Luckless, that you will make these uproars in my house. If you dislike it, it is in your power to drown a much greater... Do you but speak, madam, and I am sure no one will be heard but yourself. Very well indeed. Fine reflections on my character. Sir, sir, all the neighbours know that I have been as quiet a woman as ever lived in the parish. I had no noises in my house till you came. We were the family of love, but you have been a nuisance to the whole neighbourhood. While you had money, my doors were thundered at every morning at four and five by coachmen and chairmen. And since you have had none, my house has been besieged all day by creditors and bailiffs. Then there's the rascal, your man. But I will pay the dog. I will scour him. Sir, I am glad you are a witness of his abuses of me. I am indeed, madam, a witness how unjustly he has abused you. Jack whispers luckless. Whitmore, excuse me a moment. Scene 9. Mrs. Moneywood Whitmore. Yes, sir. And, sir, a man that has never shown one the color of his money. Very hard, truly. How much may he be in your debt, pray? Because he has ordered me to pay you. Ah, oh, sir, I wish he had. I am serious, I assure you. I am very glad to hear it, sir. Here is the bill as we settled it this very morning. I always thought indeed Mr. Luckless had a great deal of honesty in his principles. Any man may be unfortunate, but I knew when he had money, I should have it. And what signifies dunning a man when he had it not? Now that is a way with some people which I could never come into. There, madam, is your money. You may give Mr. Luckless the receipt. Sir, I give you both a great many thanks. 
i am sure it is almost as charitable as if you gave it me for i am to make up a sum to-morrow morning well if mr luckless was but a little soberer i should like him for a lodger exceedingly for i must say i think him a very pleasant good-humoured man scene ten luckless whitmore moneywood those are words i never heard out of that mouth before <laughs> you are pleased to be merry <laughs> why whitmore thou hast the faculty opposite to that of a witch and canst lay a tempest i should as soon have imagined one man could have stopped a cannon-ball in its full force as her tongue <laughs> he is the best company in the world sir and so full of his similitudes luckless good morrow i shall see you soon again let it be soon i beseech you for thou hast brought a calm into this house that was scarce ever in it before scene eleven luckless mrs moneywood jack well mr luckless you are a comical man to give one such a character to a stranger the company is gone madam and now like a true man and wife we may fall to abusing one another as fast as we please abuse me as you please so you pay me sir steth madam i will pay you nay sir i do not ask it before it is due i don't question your payment at all if you was to stay in my house this quarter of a year as i hope you will i should not ask you for a farthing tol lol lol but i shall have her begin with her passion immediately and i had rather be the object of her rage for a year than of her love for half an hour but why did you choose to surprise me with my money why did you not tell me you would pay me why have i not told you yes you told me of a play and stuff but you never told me you would order a gentleman to pay me a sweet pretty good-humoured gentleman he is heaven bless him well you have comical ways with you but you have honesty at the bottom and i'm sure the gentleman himself will own i gave you that character oh i smell you now you see madam i am better than my word to you did he pay to you in gold or silver all pure gold i have a vast deal of silver which he brought me within will you do me the favour of taking it in silver that will be of use to you in the shop too anything to oblige you sir jack bring out the great bag number one please to tell the money madam on that table tis easily told heaven knows there's not so much on it sir the bag is so heavy i cannot bring it in why then come and help to thrust a heavier bag out what do you mean only to pay you in my bedchamber oh villain dog i'll swear a robbery and have you hanged rogues villains be as noisy as you please shuts the door jack call a coach and do you hear get up behind it and attend me 
End of Act One.